So the reading's taken from Luke chapter 1, verse 57 through to 80, the birth of John the Baptist. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. (coughs) They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Thanks, Steve. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. Let's uh, pray as we come to God's Word. Father God, as Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and praised you, we pray this morning you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would understand what you have to say to us, and that you would fill us with praise to you, as we're full of appreciation for all you've done for us in saving us and redeeming us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if you've recovered yet from the, uh, the events of these last few weeks, the general election campaign. It's been quite busy, hasn't it, as candidates have toured their constituencies as leaders have toured the country and the media have followed all their their movements, their their speeches, their blunders and in some ways what all the parties have been offering, albeit in different ways, is to set us free Um, they were all offering to set us free from austerity in addition the Conservatives were offering to set us free from Europe and the Labour Party were offering to set us free from the worry of the NHS being, being sold. The Lib Dems were setting us free from the worry of Brexit. 
SNP were setting the Scots free from the rest of the, the UK, and the Greens were promising to set us free from climate destruction. There are lots of problems in this country that we, we need to be set free from. But there are more fundamental things that we need to be set free from, as we will discover in this passage this morning. A couple of weeks ago when we started this Advent series, we looked at the story of the angel Gabriel coming to Zechariah with the news, your wife will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He'll be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He'll make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And we saw Zechariah's reaction to that news, which was one of disbelief. He said, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well on in years. To which the angel Gabriel replied, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Well, last week we looked at Gabriel appearing to Mary with some uh, even more amazing news, which she accepted with a humble trust. She said, I'm Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Well, today we return to the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. It's nine months later. Elizabeth has given birth to, to a son, just as the angel had promised. And in this episode in the Song of Zechariah that, that follows, there's a lot for us to learn in our own response to God about being set free. And the first thing is that God sets us free from unbelief. Those are the two different reactions. There was uh, Zechariah, there was Mary, and the different responses to Angel Gabriel. Uh, this is the first thing we learn, though, that uh, God sets us free from unbelief and enables us to praise him. The passage starts with the usual scene of celebration about the birth of a baby. And uh, had a bit of that recently in the, in the church. Great to join in with it. Um, there's particular joy in this case because people would have known that Elizabeth was too old to conceive. Um, would have realized that the Lord has shown her great mercy, it says here. But no doubt at this stage, they're still thinking, well, it's great the Lord has been merciful to her, but it's just going to be an ordinary child. There's a slight problem because Zechariah is still not able to speak. And so when it comes to naming the child, uh, the family are uh, being helpful as they can, uh, coming up with their own suggestions, as families often do. Um, they're assuming that Zechariah and Elizabeth will follow the usual custom of naming the child after the father. So we Zechariah Jr. But Elizabeth speaks up and says, no, he is to be called John. What do you mean, John? They're, they're probably saying to her, you don't have any relatives called John. Um, you can't just come up with some random name. And so they consult with Zechariah to see what he thinks. He's the child's father. Um, well, though he can't speak, he can still write. So he asks for a tablet. A few younger guys, wouldn't be one like this. Um, probably be um, some wax on, on wood so he could scribe into it. And to everyone's astonishment... Zechariah writes the same thing. His name is John. 
look what happens next. It's like he, he's, he's already John. You can't change his name. He's been John since he, uh, he was conceived. But then, it says immediately, his mouth, Zechariah's mouth was opened and his tongue was set free. And he began to speak, praising God. How did that happen? Well, it's obviously God who did a miracle. He enabled him to speak again. He closed his mouth and now he was opening it. But what was the significance of the timing? Zechariah's speech had been taken away because of his lack of belief. That's the reason the angel gave. The reason God gives him back his speech appears to be because he's now shown that he believes. Obviously the fact that uh, the baby was born, as the angel had said, shows he was wrong to doubt the word of God. But he shows he now trusts God by obeying him. With belief goes obedience. If you say you're a Christian, but you don't live like a a Christian, then um, that faith doesn't mean much. The angel said, you are to call him John. And that is exactly what he's now done. Um, Despite all his family uh, pressurizing him to follow the usual customs, he knows the baby's from God, and he needs to be obedient to him. I wonder if you've had... A similar experience where maybe God has done something dramatic in your life to make you believe. You refuse to trust in God. And so in his mercy, he had to teach you the hard way um, and humble you. That thing that happened to you could have been maybe explained away just as Zechariah could have simply said, well, his loss of speech was due to some freak illness that just happened to come back at that time. But I'm sure you know in your situation that Deep down, it was God. He was trying to tell you something that you hadn't up to that point listened to. God sometimes uses dramatic ways to to bring us to faith. He sometimes uses dramatic ways to teach us things when we're not growing in our faith, when we're stuck in our ways, to, to discipline us. We mentioned the contrast between Zechariah, a priest, with all the privileges that go with that, a man of God, and Mary. An insignificant young woman from a a despised town in Galilee. And yet faced with some even more unbelievable news, she was the one who showed that humble trust and said, I'm the Lord's servant. May your words to me be fulfilled. Simply because you've been a Christian for, for many years or may have been busy serving the Lord for many years doesn't mean you have nothing more to learn about trusting God. As we come to the end of another year, I wonder if you ask yourself, what have you learnt about yourself during this past year? What have you learnt about God during this past year? How have you grown in your faith? How have you grown in the fruit of the Spirit? As God said to the church in Laodicea, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. God sets us free from unbelief. Well, not only has Zechariah learnt to, to trust and obey God, but the first thing he does when he begins to speak is to praise God. Um, he would have no doubt told all the neighbours what had happened, explained that it was all of God. And look at the result. All the neighbours, verse 65, were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? 
for the Lord's hand was with him. If we're Christians in this morning, isn't that what we want to see? We, that as we praise God, all our neighbours are filled with, with awe. Not awe at us, but awe at God. We're pointing them to him, aren't we? Sarah sent me an article this week that Ozzy had discussed with um, her sister a few years ago. It's entitled, Please Don't Make My, my Funeral About Me. It's very easy in funerals, isn't it? Even Christian ones, to make it all about the person who's died and not to make much mention of God. Obviously, he never made much of his many disabilities and ailments because he knew that like John the Baptist, our role is not to point people to ourselves, but to point people to, to God and cause them to be filled with awe at him. So how does Zechariah praise God? Well, before we come on to the song itself, know what happens in verse 65. It says that his, sec- his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. It's the Holy Spirit who causes Zechariah to praise God, who gives him the, the words to, to say. And the Holy Spirit continues to do that today. We're called to not get drunk on wine, but to be filled with the Spirit. We're called to pray that we'll keep on being filled with the Spirit and in the process we'll be given a desire to praise God for who he is and what he's done. But let's have a look at um, Zechariah's song of praise, which is known as the, the Benedictus, because that's the Latin translation of the first word, praise. And the main theme of praise in the song is that God sets us free from our enemies. God sets us free from our enemies. There are different words used to describe this setting free. Redemption, salvation, rescue. Have a look at verse 68 onwards. Let me read it again. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he's come to his people and he's redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said to his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. To be redeemed is to be released, released from slavery, um, from captivity, usually following a payment, a payment, um, as we sang that song earlier on, um, ransom, captive Israel. It's paying a ransom for Israel who are captives. Uh, it's meant to remind the people of Israel of their redemption from slavery in Egypt. The phrase horn of salvation is meant to convey strength, the strength of a, a horned animal like, a, like an ox. He's saying a strong saviour has been raised up, as God promised long ago, in order to set his people free. But I guess the question is, uh, what or who are the people of Israel being saved from? What or who are we today being, being saved from if we trust Jesus? What it says in the passage is we are, we are rescued from our enemies. We're rescued from those who hate us. And you might think, well, do we really have any enemies? There might be a few people we don't 
get along with very well. There might be a few tensions um, in the family over Christmas. But um, what, about, what are these enemies? And what's this got to do with Christmas? Surely Christmas is about being nice to each other, having parties and giving presents, kissing under the mistletoe. You don't want to start talking about enemies and battles. Unless we're talking about the new Star Wars film, we're happy with that, but we want to concentrate on the love, the peace, the joy of Christmas. Well, the reason Christmas is about love and peace and joy is that Christ came to save us from our enemies. So who are these enemies? Well, enemy number one is Satan. Satan's greatest achievement has been to make people think that he doesn't really exist. So he can carry on causing pain and destruction unnoticed. But ultimately, he's the one responsible for ruining our lives with sin, with sickness, with fighting, with pain, and ultimately with death. He was the one who tempted Adam and Eve, who, who caused sin to come into this world. Enemy number two is the, the world. When the Bible talks about the world, it usually refers to those living in God's world who don't submit to God, who don't love God, who don't care about God. And therefore in their hearts, such people have a hostility, not just towards God, but towards his people. The reason for the first murder in the Bible, Cain killing Abel, was because Abel was a man of faith who trusted God. In the New Testament, Saul, before he was converted, went around killing Christians. On the road to Damascus, Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? By persecuting God's people, he was persecuting Jesus himself. In this country, it may at the moment be just below the surface um, in terms of hostility towards Christians, but in many countries, it's a serious thing. People are being seriously persecuted. Their lives are at risk for being followers of Jesus. But there's another enemy, isn't there, close to home? And that is a sin in our own hearts that seeks to turn us against God, even when we belong to him. And we mustn't forget that if we are Christians, that once we were enemies of God ourselves. Um, That's what it says in Romans. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Satan will love us to betray Jesus, just as he caused Peter to deny him, as he caused Judas to betray him. And his greatest weapon is sin. And that is why Jesus came to earth that first Christmas. As it says in 1 John, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. He destroyed the devil's work by freeing those whom the devil had taken captive. By enabling them to see their sin, enabling them to see their need for forgiveness and providing a way out. God set us free from our enemies and he did that for a purpose. As it says in verse 74, Jesus came to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. We're saved to serve. Serving God and others is not about just doing something useful. 
Uh, it's not, uh, I'm a Christian now, I suppose I'd better help out some way because that's what's expected of me. If we've been saved and set free from sin, then there's a natural desire to express our gratitude to, to our Saviour through serving. We have a new master whom we love and we want to, to please in any way we can. Service can very easily become something we, we do if we've got a bit of time left after doing all the things that we need to do for ourselves. But if we've been truly saved, then the first thing we want to do, as Zechariah did here, is praise God and to express that praise in service. And we want to do that without fear, as it says here. But the devil will try and keep us in bondage to fear. Which brings us to our third way in which Jesus came to set us free. He came to set us free from the shadow of death. That fear in which the devil will try and keep us captive may take different forms. It may be anxiety. It may be depression. But the main fear people have is the fear of death. But let's have a look at the second part of Zechariah's song here. Verse 76 onwards. It says, And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. Well, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, John the Baptist's role was to prepare, prepare the way for Jesus by helping people see that they needed to be saved by being forgiven for their sins. And that forgiveness is not, is it's only possible because of the tender mercy of God, not because of anything we might do to deserve it. And the way God will achieve their salvation is by sending the rising sun. The sun will come to us from heaven, Zechariah says, where there is only light and will shine on those living in darkness. Christmas lights seem to become a bigger thing, don't they, each year for, for many people, not content with a few lights on a on a Christmas tree. They want to light up their whole home or their whole street with, with lights. We now have ceremonies in which lights are, are turned on. The image of light is a powerful one, isn't it? Because uh, we know how oppressive darkness can be. And what a relief it is when the light comes on. Some of us down the lower end of that part of the village who experienced that last night as we were sitting down to watch the final of uh, Strictly. And we plunged into darkness as the power cut came on. Thought it'd just be five minutes, but it was an hour and a half. As it came back on, the winner was announced. <laughs> I'm sure they deserved it. <laughs> but, um, but if you've ever been in that darkness, you, you feel that sense, don't you? Being trapped, alone, helpless. You want to be set free. You want the light to come on. But what was the darkness that Zechariah was referring to? It's the shadow of death. And if we've experienced the death of a loved one, we will know how that feels. We can't describe it, but we feel the emptiness, the loneliness, the silence. 
And death casts a long shadow. As we get older, as the body and the mind deteriorate, we know that death is getting nearer. We can't escape it. And worry and anxiety creep in. We're all living in the shadow of death. So how do we deal with it? Well, we can try and pretend it won't happen. Um, be in denial, fill our lives with happy distractions so we don't think about it. But buy nice things, go on nice holidays. That might help for a while. But it won't give any lasting light. We need first to understand the cause of that darkness, which is, as we've said, sin. Sin brought death into existence. In Romans 5, it says, Sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Death is the judgment of God on a world of willful sinners. But the good news of Christmas is that God sent Jesus to deal with sin, to take that judgment for us. And the way it's described in John's Gospel is the light shines in the darkness, and that darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. In other words, Jesus came into the world to set people free, to set people free from sin by forgiving them, if they put their trust in him. Jesus was the one Isaiah prophesied many hundreds of years earlier when Isaiah said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. The question is, what do we do with that light? Zechariah said, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. He included himself amongst those living in darkness, but he had decided he was going to follow that light because he knew that that light would guide him out of the darkness into a life of peace, peace with God. He knew that without that light, he would remain in darkness, but a way out had been provided. There was light at the end of the tunnel. He just needed to follow that light. The sad thing is, as it says in John's Gospel, that light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. We don't need to stay in the darkness. We can all come into the light. We can all be set free from the shadow of death. And we're set free from the shadow of death when our sins are forgiven and we know that death is no longer the end. The shadow's gone. And so as we get older, we don't need to worry that we're, we're coming to the end of this life because we are approaching the beginning of a new glorious life. When we go to meet the Lord, when we live in our new home, when we receive our new resurrection bodies. The Apostle Paul said, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we are Christians, we know where we're going. Our eternal future is secure. And the challenge is to keep walking in the light. 
Jesus has come to save us. He's come to guide our feet into the path of peace. Some of you have been walking that path for, for a long time, for many years, and I've lots of stories to tell of how Jesus has kept you, as he's, as he, how he's guided you over those years. Encourage one another with those stories. Share them. Tell each other so we can all be encouraged by them. Some of you may just be starting out on that path, and uh, you're really not quite sure what lies ahead. The great thing is that God does know. You don't need to be afraid. You've been set free from that fear. Some of you may be wondering, well, should I really take that first step? If that is you, what would you rather do? Do you want to continue stumbling in the darkness for the rest of your life? Maybe having some good times, but um, never really being fully satisfied and becoming increasingly afraid as death approaches? Or do you want to follow the one who will save you from the shadow of death and bring you into his glorious light? Praise God that he set us free. Free from unbelief. Free from Satan and sin. Free from the fear and the shadow of death. If the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Let's have a moment of quiet just to reflect on what we've heard and to, to speak to God about that. What is it you need to say to God about that? What is he, what help do you need from God that he's very willing to, to give you if you simply ask? Moment of quiet to pray.